This week, we are talking about, in, in this whole line of no more excuses, we're talking about this whole idea of no more half-stepping. If you read Tony Evans' book, he, he uses this phrase, half-stepping. In other words, not giving your all. And he's talking about specifically in the Christian life. And he uses this story about a chicken and a pig. Now, just bear with me for a second. I'm going to read it to you. He says, a chicken and a pig were walking down the street one day and came to a grocery store. A sign in the window said, bacon and eggs are needed. The chicken looked at the pig and said, let's help out the grocer. The pig responded, you must be crazy. For you, that's just a contribution. For me, that's a total commitment. Tony goes on to say, that's the way a lot of men feel about Christian life. They're willing to contribute. They're not willing to go all in. What I want to talk to us tonight about along the life of David is how even when he messed up. Now, a lot of times we like to look at people when they sin or ourselves and we use the word mistake. When they made a mistake, David didn't make a mistake. David sinned. And we need to quit calling things what they aren't. Wasn't a mistake that he slept with a woman that wasn't his wife. It wasn't a mistake that he had her husband killed. It was a sin. He knew what he was doing. It was premeditated. He thought through it, and he went through with it. And so what the devil does is he helps you and I oftentimes in our lives justify the things that we've done, specifically sin, by helping us think, oh, these are just mistakes. And it's okay that you, you did that. He, Tony goes on to say, he says, let's not go as far as total commitment is what a lot of men will say. Total commitment to God and his kingdom sounds a little too risky, as if the Christian life will cost them too much. So they give part of themselves to Christ, but hold back the rest in case the Christian life gets too demanding. Can I just make a statement? That's not what God is looking for in your and I's lives. The Bible says that Jesus would rather you be completely cold than lukewarm. Well, I want to talk to us about being on fire for Jesus. I want to talk to us about being all in. The issue is there's some things in each one of our lives and specifically in my life, that I've been thinking through and praying through, and the Holy Spirit has been revealing to me that are in my life, that he says, Derek, these things are hooks inside of you, and you've got to lay these things to the side. Because Jesus told us that we've got to wake up daily, die, take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow after him. And so that's exactly what I want us to talk about tonight. I've only got two table discussions tonight. So I want to give you one right up front, and then we've got a couple things we're going to do in the middle of the teaching, and then we'll have a table discussion at the end. But I want you to talk about this just for a moment before we jump into the text, because I want us to think about what it means if we only give something half an effort. If we just kind of half-heartedly go through the motions, what result will we receive? So let's just make it really personal. What would happen if you did your job... Now, I'm talking about your job where you get paid. What would happen if you did your job at only half the effort required? At only half the effort required. This conversation should not take long. I want you to discuss it around your table for a few moments. We'll come back. What, you, uh, what, what kinds of things will happen if you half-heartedly do your job? Okay, you're going to get fired. That's one of them. You're fired. Okay, got it, all right. Okay, depending on what line of work you're in, people could die, absolutely. What else? You know, I was talking to a guy this past week. He said that, he said, well, I own my own business. He said, so, you know, I kind of go at my own pace. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. When you kind of half-heartedly go after it, does your business increase or decrease? He said, well, it typically decreases. I said, so there's a result, there's a consequence to half-heartedly going through your job, and he said yes. And we were talking specifically about the Christian walk, about walking with the Lord, specifically about how he was leading his family and how he was leading himself as a man and how he was walking with the Lord and talking with the Lord and spending time with the Lord. And we're going to dig into a couple of those things in just a few minutes. But I want to set the context for us, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump in because I've got some scripture I want us to look at. David, and we all know the story, has not been where he was supposed to be. David should have been on the battlefield. He should have been a real leader at that moment who was leading his men. 
And instead, he was enjoying his home, he was eating, he was drinking, he was spending time in a place he shouldn't have been at that time, and he looks upon a woman who's not his wife, he decides he would like her for himself, and he takes her for himself. He sleeps with her, she gets pregnant, he panics, and he makes a decision to put her husband through a couple of tests to try to get him to come home to be with her, and all of that stuff, it didn't work out because he was loyal, and he was an honorable man, and he was leading his troops, and so he ends up sending a message to have her husband put at the front of the line so that he knew that man would be killed. So when we look at David, we can look at somebody who is an adulterer, he's a murderer, he's a liar, and probably a list of other things. And we come to this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I love this, because what we have is we have a prophet of God, somebody who's willing to stand up and boldly proclaim what God has said, no matter the response of the other person. Can I just make a statement? We need a whole lot more Nathans in the world today. We need a whole lot more men that will stand up and say, thus says the Lord. I know what you're thinking, I'm not a prophet, I'm not proclaiming that over you, or I'm not a pastor, I've never been to seminary, those things are okay. What you do know is that you are saved, that Jesus Christ has saved you, and you can go out and you can proclaim, thus says the Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. You can share the good news of Jesus Christ with people around you. We need more Nathans to stand up and specifically to hold people accountable. Now, I don't know about you, but I need somebody to hold me accountable. You say, oh, are you living some type of terrible lifestyle? No, I'm just saying I live this thing called life. And I'm a man, and there's all types of temptations, and there are all types of of opportunities to just half-heartedly go through life, to half-heartedly leave my wife, to half-heartedly leave my children, to half-heartedly spend time with the Lord, to go through the motions of just being in church, but not really falling deeper in love with Jesus. And I need somebody like that. I've got a couple men in my life that speak those things into my life. But Nathan, well, I'm telling you what, he's bold. Let's look exactly what he says to David right here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Now I want you to hold on to that word compassion, because it's going to be important in just a minute when we look at the, uh, Psalm chapter 51. And then look at verse 7, what Nathan says to him. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. So what does Nathan do? Nathan literally baits him. He he, he sets him up so that that David would give out the, the implications, the consequences for what this man had done. And then Nathan flips it on him, and he says, you're that man. Now, when I read this story, and I look at it, I think to myself, my goodness, on Nathan's side, that took a lot of guts. That took a lot of boldness. That took a lot of of gumption and a lot of, I know this is what God is calling me to do, to go before the king and say, thus says the Lord. But what he does is he confronts him on his sin. What he does is he helps David identify his sin. And here's the issue that we deal with. If we don't get to a place where David has identified his sin, we will never get to Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51 is the place where David begins to pour out his heart before God. 
and where David begins to draw back to the Lord, and where David begins to ask for complete forgiveness and to, to literally lay himself prostrate before the Lord and completely, totally lay everything out there before the Lord. I want to ask you a question as a man. When is the last time you have allowed the Holy Spirit to identify sin in your own life so much so that it has broken you to a point of tears where you've wept before the Lord because the sin that you have done has hurt the heart of your father? When is the last time that the sin in your life broke you to a point where you literally hurt There was sorrow. You see, I think what's happened in our culture today is that we have justified so many sins and the culture's doing a really good job of helping justify pretty much every type of sin that's out there. We've begun to put our eyes on those things and say, you know what, these things are not that big of a deal. Can I just make a statement? Any sin against a holy God is a big deal. And when we get to the point as men where our sin is no longer a big deal, we have missed the boat. I mean, think about this. David had committed adultery. David had had her husband put to death. And David had to have someone else come tell him that he was wrong? Where had David missed the boat that conviction hasn't just settled all over him to where he says, I've got to make this right before God? No, it took someone else speaking into his life. And so what I want us to do tonight is I want us to do something just a little bit different than what we haven't done before. We've done more table discussion, but what I want you to do tonight and what I've done this morning, early this morning as I walk through this, is I want you to have a personal discussion with the Lord. I want you to take just a moment, and maybe you haven't done this in a while, but I want you to ask the Lord to reveal any sin that's in your life currently that you've not dealt with. Now, this takes some transparency between you and the Lord. You're not going to tell the guys around the table whatever sin that is, but what you are doing is you're voicing it to the Lord. You're voicing it to the Lord. So number one, we're going to identify our sin. We're going to identify our sin. We're going to give the Holy Spirit a few minutes to work. You see, what happens sometimes is we go and we hear a sermon, and throughout the sermon, the Lord's working on us, and we, oh, that's really good, and we write something down, and close to the end of the service, we can feel the Lord calling us to do something. Maybe he's drawing us to himself. Maybe he's calling us to action, and then what happens oftentimes is we sing a quick song, and we go out to eat, and we never come back to that spot where the Holy Spirit was saying, hello, I'm trying to tell you something here. Because we're so busy and we're always on the move. And so I want us to do tonight is I want us to take just a moment right there at your table. If you need to go away by yourself, but you can just bow right there. I did this early this morning by myself and I just closed my eyes and I said, Lord, what sin or sins are in my life right now that I am completely blinded to? I want you to reveal them to me right now. See, this is what God does for David. He does it through Nathan. The boldness of Nathan. You know, you and I have something called the Holy Spirit. It's that still small voice inside of us that says, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Don't think that. But oftentimes we're so busy, we fly right past it. And the Bible says often throughout the New Testament that we grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I I don't desire to grieve the Holy Spirit. I desire for the Holy Spirit to have full reign in my heart and in my mind. But the issue for a lot of us is we're so busy that we never take a couple moments like this and say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to say to me? So I want you to take just a moment at your table. We're going to take about a minute. You're not talking to anybody else. Just closing your eyes. This morning, I put my hands out like this, and I just said, Lord, speak to me. And what you're asking is you're not... We could spend an hour just praising him for who he is. We could spend an hour thanking him for all the great things in our lives. We're not going to do that right now. What we're doing is we're getting vulnerable, we're getting transparent before the Lord, and we're saying, here I am, Lord. What sin do I need to deal with? I had lunch 
Last week, Jonathan, right? Was it last week? We had, we had, I had lunch with Jonathan Mays, great guy. If you don't know Jonathan, get to know him. Served uh, in Indonesia for 10 years, and he and his family just recently moved back here. Loves the Lord. We used to work together, and, and we were talking about some things God had done in our lives. And, and even as I shared with him something that God had revealed to me as I walked away, well, I'll just tell you what it was. I told him that the Lord had been dealing with some pride in my life. And then as I'm going to get in my truck, I thought, good night. He's dealing with pride, and I'm in there basically bragging to this guy that I'm dealing with the pride in my life. And the Holy Spirit says, why are you talking about that? Now, I'm being transparent with you right now. I'm not bragging about it. I'm telling you that this is a sin. This is something that I'm struggling with. But oftentimes, we're so busy, and we move right past it. I want us to take just a moment at the table, just a minute, maybe two minutes. And I want you just to get alone with Jesus. He's your heavenly Father. The Bible says you can climb up in his lap, and you can call him Abba Father or Daddy Daddy. So I want you to take a moment with your daddy, and I want you to ask him to reveal something in your life or some things in your life that you need to deal with. So let's take a moment and pray. You know, guys, I wonder how many times God is saying, why did you do that? And we're so busy, and the things around us are so loud and so noisy that we don't hear the heart of the Father. This is what we do know in the book of James. He tells us if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. I don't believe there's a time where we can sit before the Father and ask to see his heart that he doesn't show us something. Now, sometimes I know it seems he's quiet. Sometimes I know it seems as if he doesn't answer, but in his not answering, he's answering. And he does it in his timing. And we all can look at David's life and think, David, how could you? Why should you have? We've all got those issues in our own lives. It may not be immorality. It may not be adultery. It may be greed. It may be covetousness. It may be anger. It may be bitterness. Maybe holding on to something that you've held on to for 40 years that's time to let it go. And maybe not loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, a lot of times we focus on sins of commission, those sins that you commit, like lying, cheating, and stealing. But there's also those sins of omission, things that we omit out of our lives, we take out of our lives. In other words, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you a question. Now, we know based off the, the story of the Good Samaritan who our neighbor is. It's anybody that God puts around us. But let's just take our physical neighbors who live beside us and live across the street for, from us. I want you to ask yourself the question, when is the last time you've actually loved them through an action like you love yourself? Let, let me go a little bit deeper. When is the last time you've shared Jesus with somebody? When is the last time you had a conversation with somebody that would last for eternity in their life versus some stuff, and I'm not picking on anybody, we were talking about football back there, but when we talk about football, we can talk about work. When's the last time you talked about something that would really matter? And you see, those are things that we omit out of our lives oftentimes. And so there's something that all of us have. It's either something or some things. And I believe when we get alone with the Father. And so what I want to encourage you to do, what we just did, you can do that anytime you want to. You can do that driving down the road. In 2017, I made the decision to not turn my radio on for a whole year. And I was just going to pray in my car. Well, that whole year, to be honest with you, it wasn't a great prayer time, okay? Because I am the biggest, uh, I don't know what you, I'm just a, I get distracted easy. I'm like, oh, a squirrel, I wonder where he lives. He's probably got a nest. He's probably got a family. I've got a family. Oh, my word, i got to go home to him. They're probably running around like crazy. That's how my mind works, okay? I'm just kind of all over the place. And so the next year rolled around, and when I'm kind of evaluating last year, I'm like, well, you know, the prayer time that I thought was going to be great, it wasn't that great. And so I made the decision that year that I was going to pray out loud. When I get in the car, now you probably think I was crazy driving the road. I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm talking to the Lord. Well, you know what? We get a lot of windshield time. We get a lot of time in our cars at some point or another. And that was, that was one of the sweetest times I've had with the Lord and some of the things that he revealed to me in my life because I was alone with the Father. So I want you to take that thought, maybe that sin, maybe that, that the Lord identified in your heart, and I want us to jump to Psalm 51. 
And I want us to look at David's response now that he's been caught. Okay? Now, we've all been caught. Every single one of us. Now, I'm going to get real transparent here, and I've shared some of this with you before, but I've gone throughout the years, I've had a, about a three-month stint of depression when I was in college, and it was very circumstantial. It was, it was because of some things that I was walking through, and the Lord just graciously and lovingly and faithfully took me right out of that. Never dealt with it again until 2015, uh, two, I'm sorry, 2016, my youngest daughter had been born in the end of 2015. I was playing basketball, got hurt. I know that's a shock to you. I had a knee surgery. I got some blood clots. They broke off, went to my lungs. I had PEs. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. All I know is the doctor came in and said, it's by the grace of God that you're laying in this bed right now. He said, you should be dead. And as I came out of that one-week stay in the hospital and began to rehabilitate and get better, uh, I went into just depression. Now, I'm not talking like suicidal. What I am saying is just kind of like, woe is me. You know, what, what's life about? What, what's God going to do with me? Everything's turned upside down. The doctor said, you can't do this. You can't do this. You got to take this. You got to do that. You got to get your blood checked every other week. And this is kind of the rest of your life kind of deal. And I was just struggling. And God sent me a Nathan. And he came in the form of your daddy, David Golding, sitting right there. Mike Golding. My wife called Mike and said, Mike, something's wrong with my husband. Will you talk to him? I didn't know she made the call. He called me. He said, let's go to lunch. Took me to lunch. We had been to lunch before. And we sat down and he said, what's going on? What's new? And I don't know why, Bruce. I just kind of just word vomited. I just gave it all to him. I, the, the Holy Spirit just, just led me to give it to him. And Mike just sat there and he listened and he listened and he listened. And then I'm telling you what. The only way I can explain it to you, because I've only seen this happen a couple times in my life, I believe that I almost verbally heard from the Lord through Mike Golding. The only way I can describe it to you is if you have ever gone to an arcade and played one of those little games with the joystick where it's got the claw and you're trying to get the teddy bear and scoop it up and drop it in there so you can get it. Anybody played that game before or spent $800 for your kids to get a little lamb? You know, one of those things. The only, thing, only way I can describe it to you is that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, used Mike Golding as a claw to reach down and pick me up, and I walked into that restaurant in depression, and I walked out of that restaurant totally free. Because God had taken a man and his word, and he had spoken directly into my life. But now here's the deal. When things are identified, we've got a choice of what we're going to do with them. You have a choice. Hopefully the Holy Spirit just identified something in your heart and mind that says this is an issue in your life. The question is, what are you going to do with it? David comes to this point. David has been approached. He has seen what's being talked about. Nathan has said, you're the man, and now we get to go see his response. I found this quote years ago, and it's a quote that I, I, I think about all the time. Uh, it, was a, it was a student at Liberty Seminary, and he said, you cannot have a Proverbs 31 woman in an Ephesians 5 marriage with Deuteronomy 6 children until you become a Psalm 51 man. Now I want you to let it sink in for just a moment. Because we love to talk about Proverbs 31. And we would love for our wives to look perfect and act perfect and do everything perfect. And we would love to them, for them to take that word in Ephesians chapter 5 and submit to our ever beckoning. And we would love for our kids to grow up and just be in love with Jesus and follow after the Lord and spend all their time with the Lord. But oftentimes, we're not willing to do what God's called us to do first, and we're expecting other people to do what we're not willing to do on our own. And so David comes to a place in Psalm 51 that I think is just a beautiful place. It's a place where he is completely and totally broken. And I want to submit this to you before we jump in. If the Lord identified a sin in your heart and it's not a big deal to you, you haven't reached this moment yet. And I'm concerned that there are some of us sitting in this room that the Lord's going to have to take down another notch or two notches. He may have to take us into the pit like he took Joseph before we realize. But see, David was in a different spot. And so we get to Psalm 51. Verse 1, this is David speaking to God. Be gracious to me, O God. 
according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Remember that word? He said to Nathan, he said, well, that guy took that other guy's lamb. He doesn't even have compassion. And so what he's whining about that was absent in himself, he's now begging from God. To the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Do you notice some of the language that he uses in here? Be gracious unto me, Lord. Your loving kindness, Lord. Your greatness, Lord. Your compassions, Lord. He's talking about all this, the beauty and wonder and holiness of God. And he's begging for these things from the Lord. But notice how he views himself. That he's a transgressor. That he has iniquity. That he has sin. There's the word transgressions again. I have sinned. I need to be justified uh, when you speak and blameless when you judge. So he realizes there's blame in his life. He's calling out all of these things. And what he is seeing in his life are the things that I have done are sin. And I recognize that. And he's giving it back over to the Lord and he's asking the Lord to forgive him. You see, I think sometimes we get to the end of the day and we pray a prayer like this oftentimes, or you've at least heard this type of prayer, Lord, forgive me or forgive us for the sins we've committed today. It doesn't work that way. I, I, I dare you to talk really rudely to your wife for a week, and then on Saturday night say, baby, forgive me for all the times I spoke rudely to you last week. You just let me know how it goes. It's not going to go over well. Have you ever been in a situation with your wife or, or somebody and and you say, well, what I do wrong? I say, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. You ever, you ever heard those words before? I, I must be the only one here, okay? I, I, I've heard them, okay? I know exactly what I'm talking about, all right? You see, what God needs to hear is that you know you've sinned. He needs to hear it. And see, what David does right here is he makes it very clear to the Lord that I've sinned in my life. And I've sinned against Bathsheba, and I've sinned against her husband, and I've sinned against the army, and I've sinned against the kingdom. But Father, I have sinned against you. So I want to ask you this question. If the Lord has identified a sin, whether that be greed or covetousness or idolatry or, or adultery or pornography or greed or, or, uh, or bitterness or anger, whatever the case may be in your life, I want to ask you to confess it to the Lord. He identifies it, he reveals it to us in our life, and then we take that and we give it back to the Lord and we confess that sin to him. So I want us to take another minute or two right there by yourself, not, not talking to anybody else. You spent about two minutes is what it was earlier, and I know silence, we don't like silence. If it's silent at the house, we gotta turn the TV on. We're not used to that. It's okay to be silent. Oftentimes, the Lord speaks in silence. And so if it's silent, it's okay. We'll have a little music playing so you don't freak out on us or anything like that. But it's okay to get quiet with the Lord. And when he reveals something to us, we are to be broken. And so I don't know what you need to do. I don't know what you need to confess to the Lord. That's none of my business. I don't care. The people around your table, they don't need to know what you need to confess. But you do. And I do. And this morning as I prayed and the Lord revealed two things in my life. I got to this point where I confess it to the Lord, and I'll be honest with you, it was the first time in a while where I really felt, and I'm not saying it's a feeling, but it's just deep in my soul that I had grieved the Lord. You know, when I was growing up, my daddy spanked, and when I say he spanked, I'm talking about he whooped you, okay? We had a big old paddle, and I can remember, somebody said, amen, that's right. And I can remember being a little boy, and I wanted to obey because I did not want the paddle. And that was the only reason. I didn't care what mama said. I didn't care what daddy said. I didn't care what anybody I just did not want that, that, that paddle. But when I was about 12 or 13, my heart completely changed. And it was no longer wanting to obey my father so that I didn't get whipped. It's that I wanted to obey my father to please my father. 
You see how my heart changed? It was no longer fear. It was this reverence and love and compassion and and my heart because I had seen my father's heart. So I want you to take a moment with the father. And as he's revealed whatever it is in your life, I want you just to give it over to the Lord. I want you to confess it to the Lord. Right there, quietly, privately, on your own, some music playing, and we'll take just a moment. You know, I think about Adam and Eve after they had sinned in the garden. The Bible says the Lord came down and said, Adam, where are you? The Lord knew where he was, but they were embarrassed because of their sin. You know, a lot of times we have sin in our lives and then we're embarrassed about that. And that's the deception of the evil one. The devil, Brother Steve, I heard him say this one time in a men's gathering. I've never forgot it. He said, you know, the, devil, the devil's perverted. He said, he will tempt you to sin, and then when you sin, he'll blame it on you and turn the, turn the whole script on you. He said, he's a pervert, and that's exactly what he is. And so what he does is he tempts us, and when we fall to that, then we become embarrassed. I think about my, my youngest son. He's the one that really keeps my prayer life going, all right? I'll be honest, I've told my wife, he's either going to be a preacher or he's going to be in prison one day. I don't know which, and right now it's a fine line right between there, okay? Because sometimes I see a glimpse of a little boy running after Jesus, and sometimes I think, oh, sweet goodness, He's either going to burn our house down or someone else's. It's going to happen. And so I've told this story in here before, but I'm going to tell it to you a little bit differently. My, my wife texted me one day, and she said, I just want you to know everything's okay. I've washed the toothbrushes, but we need to have a conversation when you get home. And some of you know where I'm going with this. So that's, just so you know, that's not really a text-worthy thing. That, that's like pick up the phone and call right? I mean, I, what do you mean our toothbrushes are okay? And so I picked up the phone, I just called her, I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, you know, Josiah was taking a bath in our master bathroom, and he got really quiet in there. Now, he was probably about six at the time, so I don't know if this is age appropriate or not. I've, nothing's really ever been age appropriate with him. And so she said, he got really quiet in there, and so I came around the corner, and he was holding our toothbrush holder, and he was peeing in it. And she said, so I've disciplined him, and I, I, I've bleached everything, and, and I, 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 I boiled the toothbrushes, and everything's fine, but you may want to have an additional conversation with him when he gets home, when you get home. I said, well, there's two issues that I can see so far. Number one, that's not a bleach-worthy offense. That's a throw it in the trash, okay? All right? We can get new toothbrushes. I, I, I don't make a ton. I make enough for two new toothbrushes, Okay? I said, number two, the issue is not that you caught him doing this today. The issue is how many times has this happened where we didn't catch him? That's the issue, okay? And that's what we've got to get to the bottom of. So when I get home, and the whole afternoon, I'll be honest, I'm just boiling. I mean, I just can't wait to get home and talk to this kid, all right? And he, he just, he, he knows how to get under my skin. And so we, we, we go to, we, we've got a little recliner in, in, our, in our bedroom where we, where we read and we talk, and that's where we usually have discipline time where we talk through things. And so I, I sit him on the recliner, I'm sitting on the floor, and I said, so tell me what you did today. And boy, he tells me everything from the bacon bits he had on his scrambled eggs that morning to, you know, how far he rode his bike in the afternoon, but he's left out one small little tidbit of the story. And I said, well, tell me about your bath. Did you take a bath today? Tells me all about the bath. He washed behind his ears. He washed his belly button. He goes through the whole thing, but he leaves out one little part about bath time that he is not willing to talk to me about. And I finally said, Josiah, tell me about the toothbrush. And that little boy's face, it just sunk down. And you could, I mean, just the embarrassment, the guilt. And I'll be honest with you, when that happened, and I'm no super spiritual person, the Holy Spirit just said to me, that's you. When's the last time that I've told you, don't do that? When's the last time I've revealed something in your life where you've melted down like that? See, that's where David is right here. David's to a point where he realizes this is against a holy God. And this sin's been identified, it's been revealed, but he has confessed it to the Lord. Look at verse 6 in Psalm 51. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. 
Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David does so much in these few verses. And there is no possible way in the next three months we could unpack all of this that he's saying in here and all of this that he's dealing. But I want to call your attention to just a couple things. God desires truth. He says, make me know wisdom. He uses this word purify. He uses the word clean. He uses the word wash. And he will be whiter than snow. He talks about Make me to hear joy and gladness. Have you ever noticed that when somebody is walking in sin, they cannot experience life to the fullest in that which the way God has designed it to be? Because you cannot walk in darkness and walk in light at the same time. And I will take you back to the Firebirds booth that I set it with Mike Golding. I walked into that restaurant in darkness. And there was no joy. There was no peace. And I was struggling. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I walked out in light. And I walked out refreshed. And I walked out with joy and peace. And my wife said that night, when I walked through the front door, she knew that she had her husband back. Let that hit you between the eyes. And can I just make a statement? I believe... That God desires to have you and I live our lives the way he designed us to live. Not trying to half step in one and half step in the other. You see the old preacher in Alabama said, if you put on some white gloves and you go out and play in the mud, do the gloves get muddy or does the mud get glovey? First time I heard him say that I thought, this guy's crazy. And then he explained it. He said, see, you can't play around with sin and expect that you're going to rub off on the sin. The sin's always going to rub off on you. And you see, I think Satan has tricked us because the Bible tells us he's a liar. And he's the father of deception. And he has deceived us into thinking we can dabble in sin and we can mess around with this. And we can still come to church and make sure everything's okay. But I'm here to tell you, David found out that it's not that way. And so he has his sin identified, and then he confesses his sin, and then he asks for this forgiveness. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, make me whole again. Create in me a clean heart. Renew, refresh a steadfast spirit within me. Listen to what he says in verse 11. You can spend a lot of time in verse 11. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, he's begging. He's pleading with the Lord. When's the last time you've gotten before a holy God and you've pleaded that he would forgive you because of the sin you've, had, you've done against him? And so we've taken a moment. We've asked the Holy Spirit to identify some sin. We've taken a moment where we've confessed that sin. And now I want us just to take a moment by ourselves before the Lord. And I just want you to ask the Lord to forgive you. Just spend a moment and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Refresh me. Revive me. That word, revive, I love that word. There was a a guy that used to go to church here. He was an evangelist, and he pastored a lot of churches all around uh, this state in Mississippi, and I think some in Alabama, and he was really a, a mentor to me when I was really young. I met him when I was about 12 or 13. He gave me a whole bunch of books and, and told me to love Jesus and keep teaching about Jesus, but I remember his name was Hugh Callens, and he was almost 80 years old, and he was walking through the hallway over here close to our missions department, and my dad and I were walking through, and we hadn't seen Brother Hugh in almost a year because he had been off pastoring at a little church. And since we saw him back, we made the assumption he had retired, and he was back at Bellevue, and he was going to live out retirement, and he was getting up in age, and he, he wasn't able to do that anymore. And so my dad said, Brother Hugh, it's so good to see you. Have you retired? I will never, as long as I live, forget that little white-headed man turn around, and he said, retired? Shoot, son, I'm refired. 
I'm ready to go after them. I'm going to preach till the day I die. People are dying and going to hell everywhere. And if we don't tell them, no one else will. And I can remember as a 13-year-old boy thinking, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be that guy right there. You say, God hasn't called me to pastor. God has called you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's called you. But we can't do that when we're living in darkness. We can't do that when we're trapped in sin. We can't. And so what I want you to do is take a moment. We've ident- you, Holy Spirit's identified sin or sins. You've confessed them, and now I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, just forgive me. Lord, just refresh me. Lord, just clean my heart out. So I want you to take about two minutes, and we'll do that right now. Now I want you to look at verse 12 with me. I want you to see what David says next. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. I want you to hear the language in which David uses here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see, we have come under this understanding oftentimes that we had a whole lot to do with our salvation. Can I just make a statement? You had nothing to do with your salvation except that you needed to be saved. Jesus paid it all. Now, some of you may be sitting in here. There may be someone here tonight that says, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not saved. The Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of me. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. You can be saved tonight. You say, saved from what? Saved from your sin. David is saying, Lord, take all this sin away from me. And what you do when you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, you hear our pastor say all the time, you repent of your sins. So number one, you repent. What does that mean? It means you turn your back on your sin. I don't want that lifestyle anymore. I want to follow Jesus. Lord, I want to follow you. Number two, you believe. You believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save you. And number three, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, in a room this size, statistics would tell us some of us are not saved. I can't know that for you. The only person I can know that for is myself. And so maybe you sit there and say, I go to church. I even got a suit I wear sometimes, and I look good in it too. But I've never given my life completely to Jesus Christ. And if you are not walking with Jesus, if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, I want to say this to you tonight. I want you to find me after it's over. And I want you to get that right tonight. Because the Bible tells us you are not promised tomorrow, and today is the day of salvation. You can walk in here lost as a sinner headed straight to hell, and you can leave here tonight saved, knowing that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus forever and ever. Can I just say this? Hallelujah, praise Jesus. He has made a way for you and I. But some of us are sitting in this room, and we are Christians, and we have this sin in our lives, and it's been identified, and we've now confessed it to the Lord, and we've asked the Lord for, to forgive us, and now what we've got to do is say, Lord, please restore this joy inside of me. I did a survey with about 50 guys here at Bellevue almost three years ago now, and the biggest frustration they had coming into the doors of Bellevue is feeling as if they had to look a certain way and act a certain way. They had to be a perfect man in order to be here. Well, if that's the case, none of us belong here. I don't belong here. And I think Brother Steve would tell you the same thing. He doesn't belong here. He's not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're not ever going to be perfect, okay? And you don't have to wear certain clothes You don't have to have a certain job. You don't have to drive a certain car. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. None of that stuff has anything to do with it. But what they're saying is, I see these smiles on all these people's faces, and I feel like that's exactly what I have to be. I've got to have that smile on my face, but i got all this stuff in my life, and I don't feel joyful like that. And I want to say to you that the world can't offer us joy. Sex can't offer us joy. Our spouses can't offer us joy. More money can't offer us joy. Arkansas football wins can't offer us joy. None of those things. They can give us just a smidgen of happiness, just a moment of happiness. But I can tell you right now, if Arkansas wins, we're going to be looking at next week saying, well, it was fun today. Next week's here quick. Because we were already preparing ourselves. That, that, those things are fleeting. They're gone just like that. 
And what happens is so many of us are walking around without the joy of the Lord. I learned about the joy of the Lord when I was 15 years old. Now, I'd heard it all my life. But when I moved to Talladega, Alabama, my dad pastored a little church down there. I met a woman who, in my mind, is a hero of the faith. And in my mind, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find Miss Shirley, and I'm going to tell her the impact she had on my life. A little sweet lady in our church. And I just saw the joy of the Lord. I would always tell my mom and dad, if that's what having joy looks like, I want to be just like Miss Shirley. Because when I was around her, she just made me want to love Jesus even more. I think that if however many are in this room, 75 to 100 guys, would go to work with more, tomorrow morning with the joy of the Lord in our hearts, that the people around us would sit up and take notice. If we walked in, instead of complaining about the boss, or complaining about this, that, or the other, or complaining, or, or, or being down, or, 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 or whatever the case, if we just had the joy of the Lord, people would sit up and take notice. People would say, I don't know what's going on with him, but I want some of that. I want some of that. You see, we are to be ambassadors of Christ. What that means is when people see us, they should think more highly of Jesus. I want to ask you a question. When people see you working at your job, do they think more highly of Jesus? Are you encouraging them to be more Christ-like? Are you walking with the joy of the Lord? And when David had gotten to a point where he's just... He's literally laid all this out there. These weren't throw-up prayers. This wasn't just throw it up and hope something happens. He had spent quality time pouring his heart out for the Lord. I believe he was was weeping before the Lord. The Bible says he was broken before the Lord. And by the way, the Lord goes on to say David was a man after his own heart. I can't even fathom that. But because of what God had done in his life, he was a broken man. And he asked the Lord to restore to him the joy of the Lord's salvation. I want you to take about a minute or two. And I want you to just thank the Lord for his faithfulness in your life. And I want you to ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. Do you remember the moment you got saved? Do you remember that moment when all of a sudden you realized, I'm no longer going to hell and going to spend an eternity separated from God forever and ever. I'm a child of the king. I've been bought by a, with a price. And I am, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Do you remember that joy? See, some of us, I think, have gotten away from that a little bit. I want you to ask the Lord to restore that joy inside your heart. So I want you to take just a moment or two right there and ask the Lord to restore his joy inside of you. I want to give you just the last couple verses here and one more thing, and then I want you to close out at the table with a table discussion and pray at your table. I've got a whole lot more, but we don't have time, so let me, let me, let me move real quickly right here. It says, then I will teach transgressors their ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that, I, that my mouth may declare your praise. The fifth thing, and, 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 and I'm going to allow you to, to take time to do this, maybe to not on your drive home or maybe in your, your time with the Lord tomorrow, but sing forth this praise. When's the last time you got out a hymnal? When's the last time you got out a hymnal? Now, I've got a hymnal, okay? If you ever want need to borrow one, if you don't have a hymnal, or you can Google it. I, I, I like to go to some old hymns that I grew up singing and just sing my heart out before the Lord. Now, I'm not a great singer, but the Bible says to make a joyful noise. Okay, That's about as much as I can say about it, okay? But just sing for the Lord. Sing forth his praises, thanking the Lord for who he is. When's the last time you've spent that type of time with the Lord where you've just sang forth his praises for him revealing this and that he's forgiven you and that he's put his joy back inside of you? David says, I can't praise, I can't do these things until you have done this. 
And so what happens is we, we confess and we give these things over to the Lord. And then it is after that, once he has cleaned, cleaned our heart, that we can come back and we can worship him in such a different way. I'm convinced that the reason you can walk around not just Bellevue's worship center, but many worship centers and see very few people singing is because their heart's not right. Their heart's not in a place to worship the Lord. They're thinking about the football game, where they're going to lunch, the golf match this afternoon. They're thinking about all this other stuff. And they're not spent time with the Father and prepared to actually worship the Lord. So sing forth his praise. Look at verse 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. What does David say here? He said, look, if you just wanted me to take a bull and kill it and sacrifice it, I would have done that. But that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for a broken life. Here's my life, Lord, take and use it. You see, God is looking for a few men that will stand up and be men. That will stand up and be men of God that says, no matter what, I will follow the Lord. And David messed up. David sinned. But he got right with the Lord. He got right with the Lord. He poured it out. And he said, Lord, you're not, you don't want a burnt offering, Lord. You want a broken life. And aren't you thankful that it's after he breaks us that he restores us? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. He broke David. David said, you broke my bones. Now restore me. And it's a beautiful thing that he does. So here's what I want you to do at your table. I want you to discuss this, and then in just a few moments, you've got five, ten minutes. If you need to leave right now, you do whatever you need to do. Why do we so often give half-hearted effort to our sacrifice to God? I had a conversation with somebody today. They said, you know, I really believe God's calling me to tithe. I just don't really think I can do it, so I'm going to give 5%. I think that's a good compromise. Let me just make a statement, okay? Anytime you're trying to figure out how to compromise with the Lord, you have put yourself in a really bad spot. Actually, what you're saying is an oxymoron because tithe means 10. So 5% is no longer a tithe, okay? Now, I'm not trying to tell you guys what to do. I'm just saying, if God's called you to tithe, you better tithe. If God's calling you to get rid of this anger and bitterness in your life, you better get rid of it. I don't know what it is. But why is it that oftentimes when God calls us, we, we, we just kind of we half-step. We're, we're willing to give some, but we're not willing to go all in. Discuss it around your table for just a moment. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, one man does another. Sharpen each other for a few minutes. Then one of you just, just pray boldly over your table that God would reveal anything in our lives that he doesn't want there. I'm talking from me to you to Tony in the back, all of us, and that God would deal with us and that we would repent and that we would walk with the Lord. Take some time at your table, pray, and you'll be dismissed.